This is an ABC podcast. There are few sensations as primal, as fundamental to our very survival as pain. To me, it speaks to the power of the brain, which is a good thing, that it is so powerful that it... It's going to take any messages it receives that are threatening and try to protect you like it's our survival instinct. But for a fifth of Australian adults, that useful protective mechanism lingers as persistent or chronic pain. It can be incredibly stressful and debilitating. And for many, it takes a huge toll on their quality of life. But what if you could dial down the pain or even extinguish it altogether by retraining your brain? You know, there's... um a small leap of faith at the beginning. You know, maybe it's like putting on a jacket for the first time that we're not used to wearing and it feels a little different and uncomfortable at first. You know, let's try it on and try it on for size and and give it a whirl. This is All in the Mind. I'm Sana Kadar, and we're back from our month-long hiatus. This week, producer Belinda Smith looks at whether we can unlearn chronic pain and what the TV show Survivor can teach us about the power of the brain. Hayley Leak was so close to winning, she could taste it. Hayley had spent seven weeks in the Queensland outback, competing in the reality TV show Australian Survivor. And now, just one challenge, the final challenge, stood between her and victory. But when she laid eyes on the tasks she would have to endure to win, two words sprang to mind. Torture chamber. I knew that this was going to be painful and that the person who would win it would would have to be in pain for a number of hours. It was tiny pegs that we had to stand on and um, pegs above our head as well to hold on to and balance, but they lowered. And they lowered making this creaky kind of noise um, that made me feel very unsure of how stable it was. If you don't watch Australian Survivor, here's a quick rundown. It's a reality game show where contestants, called castaways, compete in various challenges. At the end of each episode, one castaway is voted out by their fellow contestants until the sole survivor remains. Throughout the season, these challenges get more and more physically demanding. So to get a shot at the title of sole survivor and half a million bucks prize money, Hayley had to outlast two other finalists, George and Flick. This meant standing barefoot, on the ends of wooden spikes for hours. And it had um, carcasses of animals everywhere, fire everywhere, um, and it looked like it was very rusty. So the idea of stepping into that torture chamber for hours was daunting. So everything about it was designed to make you feel scared or at least not comfortable from the very start, right? Yeah, everything about that torture chamber was specifically designed to instill fear. Even down to the point where the pegs that we stood on had red paint on them (gasps) that were meant to look like blood. Oh, my goodness. Mm. Wow, they really went all out, didn't they? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Props to the prop department. And you know, this is reality TV at its finest. You've got to milk the drama, give the audience a taste of what the competitors are going through. So the host asked George and Flick how they felt. And they came out with things like, 
It feels like I'm standing on a thousand tiny knives. And? It feels like my arm is being ripped out of its socket. And when I heard them say this, I closed my eyes, I tried to turn down their volume in my mind, and I didn't listen. I tried to block out what they were saying because I didn't want to visualise those really scary images. I instead <laughs> visualised the one thing that felt really comfortable for me at that time, which was a really big basket of food. <laughs> <laughs> Definite priorities. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it worked. After four and a half gruelling hours, George was first to let go. An hour after that, Flick did too. Hayley went on to be crowned winner, the sole survivor. But the thing is, Hayley's not just a reality TV champion. She knows a bit about how the body works and studies pain at the University of South Australia. Just handed in her PhD thesis, in fact. And all this came in handy during that final survivor ordeal. I decided to set my mindset using my knowledge about pain. So I asked myself, yes, this is going to be painful, but how dangerous is it actually? Because I have learned that pain and damage are not the same thing. And luckily, I also am a physiotherapist, so I have a good understanding of the biology of the body. So I could work through each body part, the muscles, the ligaments, the nerves, the bone, and try to figure out if I stood there for 10 hours, would I have any damage to those parts of my body? Hmm. And what I concluded was that, no, I wouldn't. At the most, I would have a blister, maybe a cramp, (laughs) and no long-term damage. Haley's research is in chronic pain. That's pain that persists for more than three months. And while standing for five and a half hours on the ends of wooden pegs in a torture chamber is not the same as chronic pain, Haley's experience can tell us a little about how our minds can influence the pain we feel. Today, we'll focus on chronic back pain, which affects around one in six Australians. So how does chronic pain develop? Well, Perhaps not surprisingly, it's an incredibly complicated process and sometimes there's no apparent physical trigger. But let's try to break it down. If you, say, pull a muscle in your back playing tennis, that painful part of your body sends alarm signals to your brain to say, hey, there's something wrong here. Make it hurt so you know to protect your back. And that's fine, so long as the pain goes away once your muscle or whatever in your back is healed. But sometimes, long after the initial injury has healed, your brain can misinterpret any old signal coming from your back as painful. In other words, your nervous system has learned to generate the feeling of pain when there's no longer any physical reason for it. It's like having an oversensitive smoke alarm in the house. A fire alarm might go off when you have a house that is on fire, kind of like when you have a big injury. Yeah, that will happen. But we all know that Fire alarms also go off when we cook toast, (laughs) when they shouldn't go off. Um, And when that happens, we don't blame the toaster, we blame the sensitivity of the fire alarm. It's estimated around 90% of chronic back pain is due to this oversensitive, overprotective brain alarm. So how can you tell? Well, if the painful area moves around, like it might start in your shoulder and then move to your back... That's one sign that the pain has no physical reason in your body to exist. If it's worse on some days, especially if you're stressed out, that's another sign. But it's important to say that 
just because chronic pain may no longer have a physical trigger, it doesn't mean the pain isn't real, that it's made up or that it's all in your head. The pain is absolutely 100% real. You can even see it in imaging studies, which show the brains of people with chronic pain light up when they feel those aching, spasming, stabbing and burning sensations. Of which up to 22% of the Australian population suffer. That's Stephen Foe. I'm a professor of rehabilitation medicine and also of pain medicine. And I'm the director of the pain medicine unit at St Vincent's Hospital, Sydney. And I just stepped down from running that after 22 years. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, gosh. How long ago did you step down? Yeah, on the 1st of July. Oh, wow. Congratulations slash commiserations. I don't know which one. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's good. It's good. uh, The world's got much more complex than when I started it 20 years ago. And in the past 10 years, he's seen huge changes in the way chronic pain is treated. Opioid drugs, for instance, were once considered a bit of a saviour when it came to chronic pain. We now know that's not the case. They actually fan the flames of pain when used long-term. There's a condition called uh, opiate-induced hyperalgesia, and what happens is when you're on opiates for a long time, it sort of triggers an oversupply of your um, opiate receptors in your spine and brain. And so then no amount of opiate can actually satisfy it, and in fact it makes your whole body more sensitive to pain. Then there are surgeries like spinal fusion, which basically welds two or more vertebrae together. These procedures have been used to treat chronic back pain, but the evidence suggests that going under the knife doesn't do much good to alleviate the condition. There's a lot of unnecessary back surgery occurring in this country for the treatment, the hopeful treatment of back pain. So treatments that are safe and don't run the risk of conditions like addiction or hyperalgesia are desperately needed. On that front, some types of talk therapy can help turn down that oversensitive brain pain alarm. Psychological services are a core component at St Vincent's Pain Clinic. So alongside physical therapists and anaesthetists, a patient will see a psychologist too, depending on their circumstances. So we used to have just cognitive behavioural therapy, but now we have dialectical behavioural therapy, which is suitable for some people. Dialectical behavioural therapy aims to help people manage or regulate intense emotions. Acceptance therapy is often used, and together with exercise, we've been able to get people to function better and to return to work and to have a better quality of life. These days, how much are psychological therapies used in treating people with chronic pain? Well, you know, a lot of my colleagues won't agree with me, but I think it's the mainstay of treatments for chronic pain. A lot of people with chronic pain find that a little bit confronting because one of the issues is that there's a very strong medical model for acute pain. You get a pain in the tummy, you get an X-ray and an examination, it's your appendix. They operate, take your appendix out, and then your pain goes away. So that has developed in the minds of people as a sort of model for management of pain. You, You have a problem, work out what it is, get rid of that problem, then the pain goes away. And that's suitable for acute pain, but it's not for chronic pain or persistent pain. Figuring out what kind of intervention is suitable for someone looking to manage their chronic pain starts with an in-depth medical history taken by a pain specialist. And when I say in-depth, it goes really deep. Many people are a bit affronted by the history because it's a very complex history and goes into your background and the context in which 
you have the pain. And context is very important with pain. Like a football player can have a broken jaw and finish the game. Uh, another person can slip over in a supermarket shopping for their spouse who they just had an argument with and have a minor injury and then not be able to get over it. In other words, what's going on in your life at the time the pain starts and how it affects you mentally has a huge effect on whether that pain disappears or lingers. And then um, a very detailed social history. Find out how you set up with your family. Find out uh, whether you, you drink too much or you smoke too much or you're interested in the use of other drugs. And we also take a developmental history, so a history about your relationships and who supports you and, and all of that. In other words, there's no single solution to chronic pain management. We see people as multidimensional. So you get a biomedical diagnosis, so it might be osteoarthritis or it might be a fracture in your spine. You'll get a psychological diagnosis, which means, you know, you might be having a problem with adjusting to this, or you might be very anxious, or you might have some parts of your personality, which makes coping with the pain very difficult. And then we'll give you a social assessment. So if you're unemployed, or there's domestic violence occurring at home, or you um, don't have housing, that's completely different to if you've got a very supportive family, and uh, you, you've got no problems with employment. So each treatment is basically tailored to the patient and their specific circumstances and needs. Absolutely. If it was easy, you and me wouldn't have this conversation. <laughs> and, uh, I would have won the Nobel Prize. Um, <laughs> but, if, you know, certainly if somebody can uh, get their heads around chronic pain and find a solution to it, they'll, they'll do incredibly well. You're listening to All in the Mind. I'm Sana Kadar. Today, how the power of the brain can ease chronic pain. Here's producer Belinda Smith again. Pain clinics like the one at St Vincent's Hospital in Sydney often include a psychological component in a wider treatment plan. But there are standalone programs too which help to ease chronic pain by retraining the brain. Before becoming Survivor Champion, Hayley Leake worked on a clinical trial which was led by Professor James McCauley from Neuroscience Research Australia. The trial looked at the effectiveness of a new structured pain program called Graded Sensory Motor Retraining, or RESOLVE. So the RESOLVE trial was a large clinical trial in Sydney, Australia, and we looked at people with chronic low back pain. 276 in all, and they were randomly assigned to one of two groups. One of them received a program of education and graded activity, gradually moving back into movements and activities that they'd been avoiding. This involved hour-long face-to-face sessions, 12 times over three to four months, and a bit of home training in between. Yeah, this was pre-pandemic, by the way. The first session involved sitting down with a physio or exercise therapist, so Hayley was one of those therapists, and simply having a chat about how pain works. This is the pain education part of the program. In later sessions, participants began moving again, starting with simple movements like stretches before gradually progressing to exercises like lifting and squatting. And the other group had a a placebo treatment. This involved a dozen sessions over the same amount of time too, but participants in the placebo group didn't focus on pain education and movement. Instead, their sessions involved things like waving a laser over painful parts of their body and doing some brain stimulation through their skull. But the equipment wasn't actually doing anything. It was all fake. And they compared these two over a long period of time, over months, and found that the group that engaged in education about reframing pain 
and moving back into feared activities, they did better, their pain was less than the placebo group. The trial's results were published in the Journal of the American Medical Association this month. In numbers, on a scale of 0 to 10, where 0 is pain-free and 10 is the worst pain imaginable, both groups started the trial with an average score of around 5.7. After 18 weeks, the participants who received the fake lasers and brain stimulation reported a slight improvement, an average pain level of 4. And the group that got the pain education and graded sensory motory training, their average pain levels dropped to 3. Yeah, we spoke to people who had recovered from chronic pain and they told us there are three key facts that helped them get better. Number one, pain doesn't mean my body is damaged. And deeply believing this helped them feel less worry. And they told us it really gave them a justification for why it is safe to move, even despite pain sometimes. The second thing, was that thoughts, emotions, and experiences can influence pain. And in some ways, this is a a good message of hope because it means there's actually many places to start if we want to try to reduce pain. We can look at stress and our emotions as a way in. And the third thing, that you can retrain an overprotective pain system. And they valued this because it helped them have an understanding of what's going on. If it's not damage, what is it? Okay, it's my overprotective pain system, but I do have the ability to retrain that. And that gives it a goal of something to do. Daniel recovered from chronic lower back pain. He's now in his late 30s, but first hurt his back in his early 20s when he was DJing in Brazil and lugging lots of heavy equipment around. Plus bad posture with computer, plus uh, I also have a motorcycle as well. All these made me develop these low back pain, these low back uh, issues. Over the next 15 years, Daniel spent thousands in medical and chiropractic fees trying to manage what had become chronic back pain. He'd end up in hospital at least once a year when the flare-ups became too much to handle. And like many people with chronic back pain, he got scans of his spine done. And I found out that my disc was getting compressed and, and sometimes would pinch the nerve. That was the explanation that I got at the, at the time. Whatever that I would experience, I would associate with that image. He didn't know it at the time, but that image probably did more harm than good. Here's Hayley Leake again. When someone has back pain, it's a really normal instinct to want to get an image for it because you want to see what's going on. But we've found over time that when we image the backs of people with back pain and compare them to people with no pain, they look very similar. It's very difficult to tell them apart. So even when someone has degenerative changes or a disc bulge, we see that in people without pain. That's more indicative of age-related changes than pain. And seeing these images can be counterproductive when treating chronic back pain. Because if you have pain and you've seen that image and it looks to you to be a fragile spine, that's really threatening. And threatening information to your brain can turn that dial up that makes the brain make more pain. So that's not helpful. 
And it can also make you fearful of moving. If you think your spine is fragile, you're not going to want to move. And the less we move, the more deconditioned our bodies are. And that can spiral into more pain as well. And a lot of the language around that can be quite stressful too, like a bulging disc. It just sounds painful, right? Yeah, you're right. But yeah, and the language we're using around degeneration or disc bulge, that's fearful language. And unless that's explained by encompassing it with the idea that, yeah, but that's normal with age-related change and it's not related to pain, then it makes sense why someone might feel threatened by that. This wasn't explained to Daniel and he was dead certain his bad back was caused by a compressed disc. Until he enrolled in the Resolve trial in 2019 and sat down with Haley for the pain education chat. So how does a therapist like Haley convince someone like Daniel that their pain is caused by changes in their brain and not a dodgy disc? It's something that takes, it takes effort and it takes patience and it does take time. But the first thing on the path to trying to unlearn your body's overprotective response is to first get curious and start thinking about how does pain work? And when we ask a lot of people this, they will tell us that they do deeply think that pain means that their body's damaged. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's a really common and normal thought to have. It probably helped that Daniel went into the trial with an open mind. From the beginning, I was trying to, to be open and accept that new information that was coming. And I went with that mindset. So when I was there, I was, okay, I'm the guinea pig here, but I want to be a great guinea pig. So whatever that happened, I will accept. Still, it took him a minute to really come to grips with the fact that his back pain was not due to a compressed disc. Oh, it split my mind. Okay, well, I don't see that way, but I will accept. I'm the guinea pig here, I will accept, and I will apply what you say. But it was the moment that I figured out that my brain was not engaged with my low back at all. The pain went away at the time. Since the program finished, his chiro and physio costs are zero. Stressful times that would usually send him to hospital with debilitating pain just don't now. And despite working in hospitality and being on his feet all day, the low thrumming ache and occasional flare-up in his lower back has been replaced with a vague discomfort at most. I don't feel pain. Another chronic pain intervention that's recently gone through a randomised clinical trial is pain reprocessing therapy. It's similar in some ways to the Resolve intervention. It's a therapist-led program which first aims to get people thinking differently about their pain. I would consider it a cognitive behavioural therapy, a type of CBT. That's Yoni Ashar from the University of Colorado School of Medicine. He led a trial into pain reprocessing therapy where... Around 150 participants with chronic back pain were randomly allocated to one of three groups. One group received the usual care for their pain. The second group got a placebo, which in this case was a saltwater injection to the painful area. And the third group went through pain reprocessing therapy or PRT. So PRT involves nine sessions, one with a physician and eight with a therapist over four weeks. Step one is determining that, yes, a person's pain is primarily generated by their brain in the absence of any physical reason. Step two is education, explaining all these ideas to people. Your pain is real and here are the causes. It is these changes in the brain pathways. It is fear and avoidance of the pain. Sound familiar? So so it can be quite a radical shift for people to make. 
Step three in pain reprocessing therapy is to get people paying attention to their pain, but without emotion. There's a, a particular technique we use. We call it somatic tracking. It involves not much, really, just sitting with the painful sensations, letting them come and go. Instead of tensing up and freezing at the first hint of pain, the idea is to just observe how it behaves. It's a way of being with the sensations, uh, with curiosity, without judgment, while reminding yourself that you're safe, there's no threat, they're, they're a false alarm, nothing to be afraid of that we find can be a very powerful technique for changing how people relate to their pain. Sometimes we have clients uh, like develop a mantra, like the pain isn't dangerous, there's nothing wrong with my back. And, and repeating that to yourself while you're mindfully attending to the sensations. Really trying to neutralize any sense of fear or avoidance or pushing away because they're not dangerous. The idea is to associate the signals coming from the back with a feeling of safety and break that cycle of fear, pain, fear, pain. And if our brain starts to feel like that the body part isn't injured, like we're safe, then it will stop generating pain. The trial results were published in the Journal of the American Medical Association Psychiatry in September. And what we found was that two-thirds of people in the PRT condition were pain-free or nearly so at post-treatment as compared to 20% or less of, of controls. A year later, 52% were pain-free or nearly so. What's really remarkable for me about, about those results is even the, the idea that a psychological treatment could make someone pain-free or nearly so, that there's something you could do with your mind and with your behavior, with your actions, that could result in an elimination or near elimination of, of chronic pain. Yeah, it's very encouraging. Are there certain groups of people or types of people that PRT would work better on than others? Hmm. We don't we don't really know. Yeah, that's a, that's a question for, for future research. In the trial, we had a one of the clinicians tried to guess the outcomes for how well each person would respond just for fun. And they were totally wrong. So it's really hard to know. Yoni and his crew are still analysing data and will follow up with recovered participants down the track to see if the benefits stuck. Interventions like pain reprocessing therapy and graded sensory motory training, that's the Resolve program, they're still pretty new. And we don't know if their results can be generalised to everyone. But for ex-DJ Daniel, at least, he's reaped more than chronic pain relief from the Resolve trial. He used what he learned in his sessions with Haley to overcome a fear of needles and injections, just in time for COVID. And while Haley's knowledge about pain came in handy during Australian Survivor last year, it might have also helped her well before that final challenge. Not in the outback, but in the snow. About five years ago, I had a big snowboarding accident and I fractured my elbow and I injured my nerve and it was quite a big injury. And I landed in hospital. I had to wait four days to have it operated on. And once it finally was operated on, the next day, the big posse of like eight doctors come to your bedside, you know, for five minutes and, and just 
give you a bit of a debrief on what's happened. And I remember the head doctor at the front of this group said to me, now you're going to have pain and stiffness forever, but you will be able to use it then left. And I remember thinking, what? By that point, I'd already been learning about how pain works. So I knew that he couldn't know if I would have pain forever. I might not ever be able to straighten it fully. And that's true. I can't straighten it fully, but I don't have pain. (laughs) And I was lucky because I have already learned about how pain works. And I know that just because you have a painful injury now, it does not mean you'll have pain forever. That's University of South Australia pain researcher Haley Leake speaking there with producer Belle Smith. You also heard from Stephen Foe, a professor of rehabilitation medicine and pain medicine at St. Vincent's Hospital, University of Colorado pain researcher and clinical psychologist Yoni Ashar, and Daniel Dos Santos, who shared his chronic pain recovery with us. This week's episode was reported and produced by Belinda Smith. Sound engineer was Roy Huberman, and I'm Sana Kadar. Thanks for listening to All in the Mind. I'll catch you next time. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio, and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.